1: T O L K I E N, and Instagram at Tipples and Tolkien.
0: So cozy up,
1: pour yourself a drink,
0: and come on a journey with us this fall on Tipples and Tolkien. Action
2: stations, action stations, set condition one throughout the ship. This is not a drill. Repeat. Action stations, action stations, set condition one throughout the ship. Not a drill.
0: The Cylons were created by man. They rebelled. They
2: evolved. They look
0: and feel human. Some are programmed to think they are human.
2: There are many copies. There are copies. many
0: copies.
1: And they have a plan. Action stations, action stations, set condition one throughout the podcast. Welcome again to set condition one, a night shift radio production. I'm your host, SC1 actual Caleb, and joining me on the CIC is my exo Kitsy. Hello. And the president of the podcast and the 12 colonies, Andrea. Hello. Hello. Oh,
0: you were supposed to do the next one up. I thought no, we were harmonizing.
1: Wasn't. No, we're, we're not doing that. That's not this so podcast. I appreciate I appreciate where you're going with that, though. <laughs> so, again, welcome to uh, Second Condition One. For those of you just joining us, we are uh, following through episode by episode of the 2004 uh, sci-fi series Battlestar Galactica. Uh, for those of you who have been with us all along, welcome back. We hope you're enjoying the ride. And if you're not already, give us a subscribe so you uh, make sure you get notified each week because we're doing this every week. We're bringing you a new episode uh, and... You know, we'd, we'd love to do more frequently, but uh, one a week, I think, is is un- about what we can handle. Uh, but <sighs> M- poor much, Andrea. Much
2: to Andrea's chagrin mm-hmm. as the only person who has not seen the show in its entirety.
1: Way to rub it in. Poor Andrea having to show the restraint of, like, 90s TV. Uh, like, having to actually watch one episode at a time, uh, a week at a time. Remember it's, those days? It's admirable. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
2: Just wait until it's, our all- mid-season break that lasts six months.
0: Stop. <laughs> it's too early for Lost Corner, but that series had some wild timelines. Wild timelines. How wild? I'll, I'll tell you when you're older. Okay.
1: We are. Uh, we're coming up close to the uh, the season finale for season one. We're we're real close. We're we're talking about episode ten today, and I think there's only thirteen total this season, or somewhere thereabouts. So. You'd think there'd be twelve, but you think yeah. Well. I see what you did there, and I like it. I, I th- appreciate it.
0: I do think I speculated that there were possibly a 13th someone or other, though, early on in the series. A 13th so, Cylon? So yeah.
1: Well, technically, there are uh, there's 13 episodes, but the final one is a two-parter. So you could, you could make the argument that that's 12 episodes, and they just had to split one up.
2: You could also uh, make the argument that it's 12 uh, thirteen because you got twelve colonies of cobalt and then Earth as the thirteenth colony. Oh,
0: which oh, uh, look yeah, at you. I think that was,
2: which is uh, still un un unconfirmed at this point, but sp- heavily speculated upon.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, all that said, previously on Battlestar Galactica. So. We're just one crisis after another with this fleet. They they can't catch a break. And as you probably would imagine, would eventually happen, uh, since they, I mean they're not running on like solar winds out here. Uh, fuel is becoming a problem for the fleet. They're running low, uh, and it's either find some fast, uh, or essentially just put down on a planet somewhere and hope. Uh, and so the, this fleet's not ready to, to give up just yet. So we opened on the president giving a, uh, a press conference about this fuel shortage uh, and trying to assure the, uh, the fleet-wide media that, you know, it's, it's going to be all right. We're going to find fuel, and, you know, not finding it isn't an option. Um, but the president's having a, a, a little bit of an issue during this press conference, and Andrea, I wonder if you might want to uh, tell us about that.
0: Snakes, a whole lot of, whole lot of snakes, snakes
1: on a podium.
0: Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> I've had
1: it with these motherfucking snakes.
0: <laughs> oh, if you your Frank kitsy didn't make that joke already. This is my personal drinking game where anytime one of you makes a joke that the other one has already made about the thing, I'm going to take a shot.
2: (laughs) You're going to die of alcohol poisoning (laughs) in 20 minutes, but you will not make it through an episode. No, Uh, but
0: yeah, she's having, she's having visions and snakes
2: on a podium. She's
0: trying to keep her shit together, but what with all the snakes, she has a difficult time.
2: I mean, they're all over her podium. They
0: are all over her lectern and though i'm not like a snake enthusiast in general um no. but i learned when i was a child that red and yellow kill a fellow and red and black <laughs> is a friend of jack and at least that <laughs> snake wasn't poisonous
2: but she's not jack she's laura roslin so it's questionable that's true that's true also, poisonous am- or not, I still don't want snakes crawling over my goddamn podium while I'm trying to give a speech.
0: That's a good point. You're right, you're right. Or
2: not a speech, but, but a press conference. Mm-hmm. Either one. I mean, I wouldn't want them while I was <laughs> doing a, a speech either. I mean, that's fair. There's never a time <laughs> where I want snakes all over my podium.
1: Um, so, yeah, so she has to uh, call it a little bit early on the press conference, and clearly the... Uh, the the media folks are picking up that something's not quite right here with the president, uh, but we switched uh, gears immediately to our old friend's boomer and crashdown uh, in a very familiar uh, situation, uh, much like when they had to go out searching for water this time they're searching for tillium ore, which is the fuel that they refine and use to power all of the ships of the fleet uh, and unlike. The the Search for Water, uh, there doesn't seem to be anything impairing them in doing this. They actually managed to find a source of tilium pretty quickly, but there's a problem. (laughs) yeah.
2: When you say there's nothing impairing them, there's nothing impairing them from finding it.
1: Right. And I'm I'm speaking specifically of how... um, Boomer essentially was was sabotaging the search for water. Uh, that doesn't seem to be playing a uh, role here yes. in the search for fuel. Uh, so she seems to be uh, either not under any directive to stop this or uh, has gained a, a little bit more uh, degree of control over herself.
2: I do think it's important to point out before we get into the finding of the Tillium that uh boomer is giving her boy crashdown a little bit of a ribbing <laughs> about uh I forget her name but a minor character I don't think we've even really met yet uh being all over him
1: uh Davis Davis is, uh yeah <laughs> uh
2: you know she's and he's kind of playing off like nah no way and and we'll talk about that later at the end of the episode but uh, cuz it pays off
0: yeah it's another one yes. of those really nice moments of There's stuff happening when we're not watching these people directly. Their lives are still going on.
1: Yeah, this world continues to turn, so to speak, and uh, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, as we discover, uh, Crashdown finds an asteroid that is just full of helium. They are are ready to go right in and mine it uh, and mine the shit out (laughs) of it. Uh, But it turns out the place is lousy with Cylons. It's just... Just coming out of the woodwork or the the rockwork the rock work, the rock work. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah they've got it's a, a uh, they've got a whole tillium refinery already uh constructed on this asteroid and lots of Raiders patrolling it uh, which, yeah they
1: move fast mm-hmm, <laughs> which actually makes me wonder like was this something where like they were just quicker than the uh, colonials at seeking out and finding a source of fuel and establishing operations before uh the the fleet could do it or uh was this something where they actually had the foresight uh, for, forethought, foresight uh, foresight I'm just going to portmanteau it <laughs> and make it easier they had the foresight to uh, actually build this base you know months in advance before even attacking the colonies
2: I will say that given that no one saw or heard from the Cylons for 40 years before the uh, before the conflict, they had plenty of time to go and put Tillium refineries all over the goddamn universe uh, that, in, in preparation yeah. for this very thing. Um, no. <laughs> there's there's also a, uh, a moment later when they're discussing the strategy of this uh, operation that they're gonna try to get this Tillium. Where uh, someone says, uh, "You know, I'm surprised they have a refinery this close from their homeworld," and I want to point out that no one actually knows where that homeworld is, and for all they know, this asteroid is like right next door.
1: I feel like they have a, a vague notion of where the homeworld is because the the space station that they would sit for like the Armistice talks or whatever uh, every year uh, was theoretically like halfway between the colonies and the Cylon homeworld. So they may not have ever actually been to or know exactly where it is, but I feel like they would have to have some inkling.
2: Hmm. I always thought it was just kind of in orbit around Caprica, but I could be wrong.
1: Uh, I'll have to go back and, and look again. So I don't remember for sure, but I am fairly certain that uh,
0: my memory um, of it from early on is that it is halfway. But now I'm not sure if that's something y'all told me early on or if that's something I witnessed
1: from the show itself. That, that is completely reasonable because I'm fairly certain that I would have at least said it during the the pilot episode. I
2: feel like my my absolute guess here is that it's not specified and we've all just kind of assigned our own um, assignment to it. Well,
0: halfway seems fair.
2: It does seem fair. Yeah. I but will. let's be honest, the Colonials don't really have a good track record of treating the Cylons fairly now, do they?
0: There's also that. But no. there's also, and we'll talk more about this as we get further into the episode, but... It seems to be that this is part of God's plan as far as the Cylons can tell, right? Um, So it would be, if this is part of, you know, all part of the Cylon God design, it would be pretty advantageous of them to happen to have found the asteroid closest to the human fleet.
2: I don't know why I have to keep reminding you this, but he's not the Cylon God. He is God.
1: Oh, (laughs) Relevant, mm-hmm. relevant to the story. Spoken like it, a that's tr-
0: why I said it. Yeah, I'm such a human. <laughs> God, don't be such a Baltar.
1: <laughs> so we have, uh, of course, uh, the the high ups on Galactica planning a strategy of how, like, what to do next. Should they like keep jumping until they find another source? That seems to be the the safer bet but it's also not guaranteed because it took them this long to find this this source and and, and it's as we like
2: uh sorry as we've learned they only have two jumps left worth of tilium for the whole fleet so
1: yeah and it's not like you know tilium rich asteroids are just a dime a dozen out in space like it's it's a reasonably rare uh although not not um not to the point where it you know why did they ever make spaceship fuel out of it? Um, so, or the alternative is to try to take the tillium from the Cylons, which is definitely a a dangerous gamble. Uh, but it's the one that, uh, the commander decides uh, is what they need to do.
2: Um, Nobody agrees.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, um, Ty even says, "With all respect, this is hardly the time to attack a superior force." Uh, to which Adama says, "This is exactly the time. We know where they are; and they don't know where we are. We can catch them with their pants down." And uh, you know, Lee says, you know, "If we fail, and Tie, end of game." <laughs> uh, and I just, I love Adama's attitude here. It's just like matter of fact, so we don't fail. Just the uh, like, there is no option to fail. Like it's we do this or like we're fucked no matter what. So we're going to do this. And it's, it's it's basically
2: uh, either that or run out of fuel and just drift hopelessly. And that's a recipe for getting killed by the Mm -hmm. Cylons. So you might as well go, go out with a fight if you're going to go out, you know,
0: I was just going to say, it's just so consistent with, um, his approach to looking back on things as well. He's like, we're going to make a decision. We're not going to spend a lot of time. Like, contemplating the what ifs we're going to do it we'll see what happens and we'll move forward and it's worked yep. for them so far mm-hmm.
1: yeah um and i think it was during the press conference that somebody like asks the the president like what their alternatives are and, and you mentioned you know we can you know find the the nearest habitable planet and set down on it and someone kind of raises the point of, like. We're just gonna like happen to find a habitable planet within our you know jump radius. Like, what what are the odds on that? And we know from uh, astronomers here on Earth in current times uh, that the odds aren't necessarily great. <laughs> like, there are there are planets out there that are Earth ish in theory esque Earth esque in theory, uh, but we have no proof whatsoever that any of them would actually sustain uh human life, uh much less uh just life in general.
2: It's also uh, worth ah. pointing out that in all the jumps that they've done, all the systems they've been to, they haven't once found a habitable planet yet.
1: Yeah. So Which
2: mm, that, that, that not, should, I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that plan for two jumps.
1: Yeah. That that should should give some sort of uh into the, the scope of that problem. And so, yeah, Adama, is, is he's got it right. Like, this has to succeed. Uh, and because of the nature of this problem uh, and how risky uh, and, you know, kind of crazy they have to be to do it, it brings in someone with a particular set of skills <laughs> to plan the mission. And that's our friend Starbuck. My girl. <laughs> Much to Colonel Ty's <girl-tie's> chagrin. <laughs> I love it like Ty and Lee are both kind of like I don't know about this and Adama just says like you know think about it we're not as crazy as she is
2: yeah (laughs) well there's this uh there's this great exchange too between Ty and Starbuck where Ty's like remind me again what year did you graduate from war college uh to which she responds with oh married life not working out well for you Ty
0: (laughs) He gives him a little wink. She's such a scamp. Oh. God, I love her.
2: So, she's so sc- sassy. <laughs> I can't remember if it's before or after this. I think it's after this this planning session where uh, Starbuck's in the gym working on her leg presses because uh, her knee's still not great yeah. uh, after her little encounter on the moon. And, uh, you know, she's determined to be to lead this mission. Um, you know, she she wants to be out there. And Commander Adama comes in and, and basically tells you, you're, you're not ready. You're not strong enough. You're you're sitting this one out because you, you're you not going to make it. And she disagrees. And so he puts some more weight on the leg press and is talking about how, you know, you've got to pull six G's to make a, you know, a turn in combat. And you've got to hold it for 10 seconds. And she's, you know, he puts all this weight on the leg press. And she's struggling to hold it. And he starts counting down slowly and gets about halfway through the countdown before she gives in and and buckles. To which he replies, or to which he states, that was only three G's. You're not ready. And she knows he's right.
1: It's tough love. Mm -hmm. The commander is not, he's not mincing words. He gives her the chance to like prove me wrong, but like, I know you're not ready. And I know that that's hard for you to hear. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and it's not, this is the first episode where it's occurred to me. It's not just that it's tough love. I mean, it certainly is that. But it has just occurred to me this week that it feels to me as if maybe he has his eye. On her to be the like uh, the one to follow in his footsteps, um, bringing her into the the war room or whatever. And when he says, she says something about not signing up for the responsibility, and he's kind of like, "Well, that's not really up to you or me." You kind of get
2: the Cylons didn't ask us, or d- yeah. yeah, didn't ask us what we wanted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: he didn't. He doesn't strike me as the person who would have been kind of champing at the bit to get out from behind his. Viper, Raptor, Viper, Viper, um, back in his younger days
2: either. He he even says, you know, it was a hard transition for him to make being the one that wasn't in the Viper and having to be um, in that in that command room. And I I, I think that there's a a scene later that really plays out to that where they're hearing their plan not quite going as expected. And and you're just hearing the screams of the pilots getting shot Mm -hmm. down over the radio and they're all just kind of sitting on the table like there's literally nothing we can do. We just have to stand here and listen to it and, and hope that, that our plan works. And mm-hmm. the, I can't imagine how difficult that would have to be, knowing that, like, your plan that you came up with and you're in charge of, and there's people out there dying, and you're hearing their screams over the radio, and you can't do anything to help them.
0: Yeah, yep. That's, that's a tough scene, though, to watch. Mm-hmm. There is something
1: really cool, though, about seeing Starbuck in that position, though, like, standing around the the. Uh, the war room table as they're moving the the pieces around to show the location of the fighters and whatnot, and you know she's there like gritting her jaw and like you know, in just like holding her breath in anticipation. But she's there in like full uniform as though she belongs in the CIC mm-hmm. and like you're used to this like swaggering, shit talking, <laughs> cocky pilot uh, in her flight suit. And you know she's at home in the in the viper cockpit, but then there she is like coming out like a an, an officer, like a leader. And uh, it's a, especially an interesting payoff because she's still training the, the new pilots. Yep, she's still doing the, the flight uh, flight training for them, and so she has such a like a personal stake in like every aspect of this mission. Uh, and it's it's a really like interesting glimpse into like a moment of maturity for Starbuck.
0: Yeah, big time.
2: Yeah, I mean this. I think this is where we really see her start to transition from just hotshot pilot into leader. Yeah. And and she's putting on those leadership pants for the kind of the first time and is it's a little uncomfortable at first. You know, you got to get used to it. Um, yeah, and for I think sure. I think she's struggling with it. Uh, but before we get too deep into that plot, because uh, that's going to be a whole rabbit hole of the operation they do here. Um, yes. I think it's important to talk about a couple of subplots. Uh, mainly, we mentioned the snakes on the podium. And mm-hmm. uh, I do want to talk about the exchange that Laura Roslin has with... Her name is Alosha. Alosha. She's
1: like the she's like the, the priestess for the, the church.
0: Yeah. The mystical black woman. Yes. One of two women of color that I've... Or I should say two black women that I've noticed on the show so far. One of which happens to be the most sort of, again, mystical. Maybe I'll save... I have a lot to say about that kind of characterization. Maybe I'll save that for the the, the blog. Ooh, there That's you go.
1: A uh so we've we've been introduced to her in the past episode. She gave the uh, the eulogy, so to speak, at the the first big funeral that they had. The one where uh, Adama drops the bombshell about um, about Earth, and so we have a sense that. Either she was maybe like higher up in the church order to begin with, or she just happens to be like essentially the the ranking like priest of the of the lords of kobol uh here amongst the fleet, so she has kind of a, a position of of power and influence that way, so she is taking time as like a spiritual advisor for uh for Rosalind who tells uh Elosha about the uh um Taking the Kamala extract and how it's created these visions, and Alyosha like asks like what like what kinds of things are you seeing? And she tells her about the the dreams about Lyubin and how those were you know prescient and uh, kind of gave a, a glimpse into the the events that were going to happen. And then she talks about the snakes and Alyosha gets like suspicious she's like how many snakes? She's like I don't know about a dozen, <laughs> and of course she's like you're. Okay, you read Pythia, and you're fucking with me. And uh, Rossen's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, who is that? Uh, and it turns out that one of the oracles, uh, one of the the writers of their sacred scripts wrote about uh, and a, a newly anointed leader uh, to guide the caravan of the heavens to their new homeland. And un, uh, and unto the leader, they gave a vision of serpents, numbering two and 10, so that's 12, uh, <laughs> as a sign of things to come. And Russell's, Russell's like, we, the, what, hmm? the, who, who, who wrote that? What now? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, we you get this sense that, like, Rosalind started to to connect to that maybe the experiences that she's having aren't coincidental. Uh, also. she's like, well, she's like, well, wait. you know, we also wrote about a leader suffering a wasting disease and wouldn't live to see the new land, but you're not dying, are you? And Rosalind just kind of like smirks <laughs> and then we cut away.
2: To uh-huh. be fair,
1: aren't they all dying? Uh, we're, we're all dying all the time. hmm while we're on the subject
2: of the religion aspect of this show, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to give a shout out to—is it Boston Gabe? Who Boston was that? Gabe. Boston Gabe. Who? Boston gave us, Gabe. Hell yeah! Who gave us a, a review on on uh, Apple Podcast? Thank you, Boston Gabe. So nice. uh, Boston Gabe mentioned uh, that we don't talk enough about the connection between Battlestar Galactica and the uh, the Church of Latter Day Saints, or the Mormon Church, as it's known. Uh, and, you know, that's true. We don't talk much about that. I think I mentioned it pretty early on that there were a lot of Mormon themes in the show. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think any one of us is really all that read up on Mormonism or uh, the the, the kind of lore behind Mormonism. And uh, I just don't think we really feel like uh, we're really equipped to speak as an authority on on Mormon themes. But yeah. Uh, if someone out there is and has done some thinking about the connection with Battlestar Galactica and wants to come on the podcast and have an episode where we talk about that, hit us up. Hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to have you. No spoilers,
1: though. No spoilers. That's actually something I, I want to explore as we get closer to the end of the series. Me too. And you know, we're, we're less likely to go into spoiler territory for Andrea and for our other first-time viewer listeners. Um, but I really want to dig into the the whole... like concept of religion in Battlestar Galactica both the the polytheism of the the colonies the monotheism of the Cylons and like what if any connection there is to and then of course uh extend that to the connection to Mormonism because I think that that's just fucking fascinating uh and yeah I, I mean I know a little bit but definitely not near enough to to try to speak with authority about it
2: yeah and I feel like we could do a whole string of episodes on just that
0: yeah and I would love more than anything, I, I was itching all week and I didn't, but to do some research, not about Battlestar specifically, but about the Church of Latter-day Saints so that I could maybe come equipped with that lens for the rest of the series. But that, even that felt um, a little bit like cheating to me. So I didn't. But um, yeah, well, really good catch, Boston, Gabe. We're happy to hear from you. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, th- thank, so thank, you. thank you. And Boston, Gabe, thank you for the review. That means so much to us. Uh, if you want your own shout out on our show, leave us a review. We would uh, love to hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, we m- mentioned uh, in past episodes, if you haven't already, give us a subscribe so you you know make sure you get notified every week when we do a new episode. But you know if your platform of choice allows you to, leave us a, a rating and review, let us know how we're doing and uh, help us get discovered so more people can uh, listen <laughs> to uh, us talk about the adventures of guys Baltar. <laughs> well on that note
2: uh we have multiple greatest contacts so we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors uh we will be embedding the jump coordinates to our uh rendezvous point in the ad so make sure you listen to that and we will
1: see you on the other side of the jump you're listening to a night shift radio production night shift radio is a modern media company bringing you shows that entertain inform and most importantly provide an escape Never Heard of It dives into the world of bad, obscure, and sometimes just weird movies. Follow along with the crew of Set Condition One as they experience the 2004 sci-fi hit Battlestar Galactica, one episode at a time. Each week on Left of the Dial, we explore a new record or revisit an old favorite. We'll bring in guests to talk about their own music and the state of the industry. The Superpod Cast, guys with beers talking about movies with capes, They draw a random comic-inspired movie from Thor's helmet and offer thorough, insightful, and humorous commentary. And once a month, tune into the Storyteller series and get lost in the magic of a good old-fashioned radio drama. Learn more about these fine shows at nightshiftradio.com and subscribe on your favorite platform.
0: jump complete are all listeners accounted for we're all
2: here i think that might be the way to do it <laughs> instead of just report i loved her
1: <laughs> that was still probably my favorite i mean don't do that but that was probably my favorite
2: i just love that no one knew what to do with that i was you just like
1: it. what <laughs> <laughs> report mr gator report <laughs> We can't drink salt water. <laughs>
2: that's that's right. the problem. We don't have a Mr. Gata.
1: <laughs> that's true. So We don't have a Gata to tell uh, to do something to have him then follow up and tell D to do
2: Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Gata, tell the fighters to turn around. Uh, D turn with, tell the fighter to turn around. Hey fighters, turn around. <laughs> like
1: are we really? <laughs> Are we in the podcast now, or are we still waiting to come back? I'm I'm not sure.
2: Oh, no one really knows.
1: Okay. Uh, It it brings to mind an episode of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, where the the Borg have invaded the the ship, and Picard uh, gives an order to Worf, who then gives the order to one of his security personnel, who goes and gets the shit kicked out of him by the Borg. (laughs) 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 Like, that's how Chain of Command works. Yep. (laughs) It's like the, the moment that I saw you know, Ty or Adama or whatever tell Gata to do something and Gata radio from the war room to the CIC to, to D to do the thing. And then D relays to the fighters. And that's all I could think of. was like, yep, there's that, there's that chain of command. Very now,
2: it's, it, it, it is interesting. Um, I've never really done a lot of study of naval operations and how things work on naval ships. But uh, you'll find most uh, military-based space uh, sci-fi science fiction does base things heavily on the Navy. And I recently watched uh, Tom Hanks' new movie on Apple TV Plus, Greyhound, and I promise you this is going to tie in. <laughs>
0: okay, uh,
2: I am going somewhere with this. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. If you like Tom Hanks, you're going to love it. Um,
0: this is our Dead Eyes crossover.
2: It's a extremely stressful movie. Uh, but there, the the thing to to know is that you've got uh, Tom Hanks as the captain of this uh, this battleship that is escorting a, a convoy across the Atlantic uh, in World War II. and he's got uh, he's up in the bridge where he's got his you know officers around him and someone steering the ship and all that, and then you have um, you have someone down in the sonar room. And that person is relaying uh, the sonar readings to a person up on the bridge, who's then relaying them to the captain. Uh, mm-hmm. Likewise, you have the uh, the XO down in the CIC. See where all these terms come from? They're naval. Uh, <laughs> yep. You have know, the XO down in the CIC of the ship, planning, you know, plotting and planning where all the positions the ships are. And that that XO has a officer whose sole job is to communicate to that communicator on the bridge, who then communicates to the captain. So, uh, it's, you know, the, the, it seems kind of silly in a, in Battlestar Galactica where you could like, especially cause most of the time they're all in the same room. Yeah. Uh, but there is precedent for that. That is how those operations actually worked. Or you'd have an what? officer whose, whose sole duty was to relay orders and information from one group of people to another group of people via another officer whose sole duty was to do that.
1: Yep. And in this case, they actually are are situated like that, with the um, the officers being in the war room, mm-hmm. which is separate and distinct from the CIC. So in this case, Gata radioing to D uh, rather than someone just saying D, do this. Yeah, uh, it, it makes sense.
2: It does, um, and and it does make sense because D is then like her job is basically to communicate to the pilots to and from the pilots. Yep, Gata's job is to communicate to and from the officers. And so yes. it, it's, it seems silly, but it actually does make a lot of sense. And uh, also watch Greyhound. It's very good.
1: <laughs> what doesn't make a lot of sense is that the Galactica is involved in this mission. They, they jump into, like, just close enough to being in range of their fighters without ideally uh, having to engage at all with the Cylons directly. Uh, but... Every one of the most important people in the leadership of this fleet is present on that ship, which seems a little bit (laughs) uh, poorly thought out in the sense that, like, potentially the Galactica could get destroyed in this fight and there's the entire, like... There's the entire military presence gone, uh, but also the president and her top scientific advisor. Because um, <laughs> Baltar's also there; they're they're all right there. Like that's that's kind of a, a chain of command no no.
2: Yeah, one nuke could take out pretty much everybody that's running the show. And like, who do you got left, Billy? <laughs> Billy Ray Cylon. Where was he this week? <laughs> you ever notice uh, how we never see Billy and the Cylons in the huh, same room?
0: Huh. Very interesting. <laughs>
2: Um, so before we, we we wrap up the the military operation here because it's it's a hell of an operation, uh, yes. we should check in with our pals uh, Sharon and Hilo on Caprica. Cylon yeah. occupied Caprica.
1: Cylon occupied Caprica. Uh, it's a rainy day, and they find shelter in a barn in a hayloft. <laughs> it's very sweet. Do you think they went for a roll in the hay? Uh, I think that they would have. Actually, no, because we we see. Them uh, kind of setting up camp there, and then we see them waking up. So uh, I'm going to say yes. I think they did.
2: I mean, they are spooning when they wake up. So you know what that means.
1: They were spooning. Yes. <laughs> Presumably while they slept. Yes, correct. <laughs> uh, but we see that uh, they you know, they they wake up. They they go to have some some food, and it's uh, some canned goods and some peanut butter. You know all of the. Uh, Uh, Those high-flavor, high-quality staples of your on-the-run diet, some chili, some beans.
2: You and I have been on tour. You know what that diet's like.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's scrounging beef jerky and and Gatorade from the uh, (laughs) the, the closest gas station, closest Tillium station. (laughs) But yeah, so we see uh, Hilo's trying to, to prepare a meal of sorts, and uh, Sharon's not looking so good. And uh, we think that maybe she hasn't been taking her anti radiation meds, which is kind of important to do when you're on a planet that's been nuked straight to hell. I and mean, just yeah, I guess. Full of the radiation. And she's like, no, I'm fine. We have, you know, we just, it's just the, the cold beans we had last night, which I don't know, like, uh, cold beans have never, you know, given me symptoms of radiation poisoning, but maybe, maybe, maybe,
2: maybe. maybe. And, well, well I mean, they could have been irradiated cold beans, in which case that would make sense.
1: I've, I mean, would the radiation not have maybe warmed them up a little? <laughs>
0: not necessarily. Hmm. It's a, it's I a think, thought. I think that's how microwaves work. That's exactly well, uh, how microwaves what, work. It's, oh. <laughs> Yes and no. Yes and no. So, Hilo thinks, though, that <laughs> that it's radiation poisoning. We're supposed to know that it's whatever poisoning Cylons get in whatever, right, is the assumption we're supposed to make. Like, when... Uh, Leoben? Uh, no, no, because that was a specific cloud of, uh, like gas and radiation
1: and whatnot around Ragnar Anchorage. Oh, right. I keep forgetting I that.
0: So we, so Boomer is pregnant then. And we're about to find out that Cylons can get pregnant Ooh. and y'all silence speaks volumes. I don't remember if that's what's happening,
1: oh. but that's a hell of a, of a jump. And I like it.
0: Jump. I
1: feel yeah. I feel like they're, because, defi- they're, they're they definitely are
2: sort of implying it. They want you, they want you to be suspicious of that.
1: I I'm actually glad you said that because I didn't think that at all, and now I do. Uh, <laughs> especially because like it's been implied. It was it was six, right? That said, like I want to have a baby. Yeah. And you know they're doing this whole experiment with with Hilo and Sharon to see like how far a human Cylon relationship can go. Uh, it, it doesn't seem out of the realm of, of probability that they would try to get Sharon knocked up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, uh, we all know that growing a, a thing inside your body, uh, causes very similar symptoms to a uh, massive, uh, dose of radiation poisoning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Both will make you very sick. <laughs> and possibly grow things that you, you don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you weren't planning. <laughs> so this is a part that I love because Hilo gets himself a, a little bit of a shock because they hear uh what sounds like an, an approaching army, uh and they look out and there's a mass of uh centurion troops uh marching, but they're being led by a six. And Hilo's like I saw you kill her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Sharon's like, I you know, I, don't, I don't know. We got to go. And he's like, no, like you, like you shot her and I saw her bleed and like there was blood everywhere and she was bleeding and she died. But like, how is she here? And Sharon's like, I, we have to go right now. We have to <laughs> go. Mister. Like, totally, dodges, totally
0: dodges the question. She calls and, him Mr. It's yeah. such an odd little moment.
1: And then he even says like, you
2: know, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out later. We got to go. Uh, Yes. And we did, uh, did, I think it came up a while ago that we weren't, we we had a disagreement of whether or not we thought Hilo knew that there were human-looking Cylons. And I think this proves that he is probably starting to suspect that, but does not yet know it to be true.
1: Yeah. So I would think that he either maybe figured out that she's a human-looking Cylon, which he hasn't said one way or the other, or... More likely probably thought that she was a human collaborator uh, and that Sharon killed her. And as such, she would die once and that would be the end of it. But not so. Not six. I I do
2: want to point out that Hilo has not considered what would probably be the most logical option. And that is that they're twins.
0: Twins. That is true. The 13th Cylon. It's just twins? It's just two sixes.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't that be the
0: 12th? Oh, they can't 12th hear. and 13th. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Oh, okay. Six is actually 12. Um, there. Just to there. pause for a second, this episode especially, but um, had me thinking about this, but the sound design on this show, and I know I'm like the least qualified in the metaphorical room here to talk about <sighs> this, but when you see her approaching and you hear the army of centurions, but you don't actually see them at first and it just it's timed so well with her steps that it's it just kind of highlights all the power behind her and then her troops mm-hmm. kind of show up um it's is such a that is extremely good it's so good she's I love it too. And she, yeah and she's this you know
1: tall blonde model of a woman in this long white like really fashionable coat and looks Looks more like she's gonna be going shopping in the the you know the the ritziest part of Caprica City and not leading an army of sentient robots. Uh but here we are. She's the best.
2: I've said it before and I'll say it again. She is a terrifying character.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Hilo and boomer and uh, caprica boomer decide that they got to get the fuck out of there uh and to safety and they've already talked about their they're heading to delphi uh and they think that they can make it in about uh, eight to ten days if they move quickly uh and they were planning on you know getting a little bit more food and rest before uh they did but uh, the cylons showing up unexpectedly has uh hastened that plan a bit so and away they go <laughs> And away they go, uh so meanwhile, back on the Galactica, we have uh, a bunch of little side conversations where people aren't aren't really sure about this whole uh putting Starbuck in charge of the mission thing we've got um, Starbuck as we talked about she she wants to be in the action, but she can't uh there's a moment where Lee is questioning you know whether you know he sh- should be leading the mission and he's like. You know, I I feel like uh, all through the fleet, people are, you know, are thinking, like, you know, Starbuck would do a better job at this. And Adama gives him this great, like, fatherly, like, heart to heart, you know. um, You know, it's like, I I know you'll do good because you're my son. Uh And he takes out uh, a a letter engraved with his father, Joseph Adama's name, uh, and tells Leah the story of, like, his father was a lawyer and he would bring that like it was basically like a good luck charm for him. He said he uh, would never lose a case unless he forgot it, uh, and he hands it to to Lee to take with him. Um, and uh, there's this really great moment where Lee's just like, you know, dad, I've, you know thanks i'll I'll bring it back. I like, think you better. I'll kick your ass. It's a good lighter <laughs> <laughs> Billadama's sense of humor is so great. he's like He's so stern and dry, and then he comes out with a line like that. <laughs> Just, oh, kick your ass. It's a good lighter. I think it, it uh, also
2: shows, like, like the fact that he's joking about that shows how much confidence he has in his son. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because and- he's not saying, like, oh, you know, if you don't bring it back, I'll, I'll miss you or whatever. It's like, no, I'll kick your ass. It's a good lighter.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like. It it definitely reinforces this newly repaired relationship between mm-hmm. them and it shows like Adama really respects Lee mm-hmm. and like he you know he's gonna continue to push him because that's that's who he is and you know the times definitely call for it. Uh but when it comes down to it in their quiet moments, like he is capable of showing that that affection and it's it's nice. It's a very sweet moment. It's nice.
0: Even the music playing underneath that scene, it's so different from anything else that we've heard so far. Did you look into that at all, Caleb?
1: I did not, but I will say that uh, that kind of like Highlands ballad uh, theme that they start playing, uh, it, it repeats a couple of times in this episode. Uh, and I don't personally consider it a spoiler to say that that is going to be a, a common Thing in the the soundtrack going forward. And like Bear McCreary really sets like this this really fascinating tone by mm-hmm. using that specific style of music in these kind of like heartfelt moments.
0: Yeah, it was so um, particular in a way that it hasn't been yet. And in the same way that those the Cylon drums that I always joke about are so closely associated, right, with any Cylon, mm-hmm. it becomes immediately recognizable. These kind of like leitmotifs that he's so... Um, it seems like careful about using. It's it's uh, really incredible.
2: One thing yeah, I've he's... noticed about it, just to get really deep on this one, is there's there's kind of two versions of this motif. There's the one that's a little more quiet with the the penny whistle, mm-hmm. and then there's the one where the snare drums, the rolling snare drums, come in and it gets louder with the bagpipes. Yeah. Um, and so the the quieter one with the penny whistle is. Um, kind of like the intimate father-son bonding music mm-hmm. uh, or just the, the tender Adama moment. Um, Cause it is used later in the series where it's not strictly just, you know, father and son, but it's like anytime there's like a, a tender bonding moment with, with an Adama, you have this theme. Uh, but then when it breaks out into the full orchestral, like snare drums and bagpipes, now it's like the, you know, the, the fleet as a whole is celebrating a victory. Yes. Um so like there's been some personal victories in in some bonding and then there's been some, you know, full-on fleet victories in that we've you know, we've overcome a challenge. And it's I love that theme. It's a great motif and I I absolutely adore it.
1: I really want to know what he named those pieces too. I'm sure we can right. find
0: out. Theme from Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like to me. It is very
2: Titanic-esque, yes. Yes. It's interesting, though,
0: that contrast that you're drawing, because we talk a lot about how so much of the conflict and stuff that comes up on this show is the personal versus the professional, right? Mm-hmm. Ty mm-hmm. names it explicitly, and we talk a lot about um, father and son, Adama you know, reconciling their, as we were just talking about their father son relationship in the wake of being these two high ranking officials in the war. It's just really, really smart of um, Bear McCree. That's his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fake. That's like, what a good name that is. Yeah. It's a great name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And he's
1: arguably one of the best like composers for television, like in the business.
2: What else has he done that I would know?
1: Um, off the top of my head, I know he did the uh, the theme from The Walking Dead. Um, okay. I don't remember what else he's done, but I know that he's he's done some more. So let me see if I can. It's,
2: it's interesting while you look that up. It's interesting you bring up The Walking Dead because I was just thinking of a parallel between this show and The Walking Dead. Um, oh,
0: Kitsy's Walking
1: Dead corner.
2: No, this is going to be a one-time thing.
1: Um, oh, my God. This Special dude edition. looks amazing, too.
2: <laughs> Does he look like I feel like Bear McCurry would look?
1: Uh, I don't know how you feel like he would look, but like um, he's got long, straight, dark hair parted Aww. in the middle and a goatee and a very serious look.
2: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how I expect him to look. Let's put a, uh, a link to that picture in the show notes for everyone. <laughs> and uh, if he has Twitter, we should uh, shout him out on Twitter mm-hmm. this week. Um, oh my! So speaking of speaking of The Walking Dead, uh, I think one of the things that makes this show so much better then uh, I think it it should be on the surface is a thing I love about The Walking Dead, too. And I should preface by saying I've only seen the first like three or four seasons of The Walking Dead. I kind of stopped watching, not for any particular reason. I just kind of stopped watching. Um, mm-hmm. And but I think that the you know, you can only be an interesting story where the zombies are. The the only threat and, you know, every episode is, oh, my God, how do we you know, how do we defeat the zombies? How do we get away from the zombies? And the same thing with the Cylons, you know,
0: yeah. that's a
2: very, you know, how do we defeat the Cylons? How do we go from the Cylons like that would not be entertaining episode after episode after episode? And so the fact that we also have these like interpersonal conflicts and these like, you know, you know, the, the I think both shows do a good job of showing like how how humanity can turn on each other in such a tense situation when really you need to unite and, and, uh, you know, pull yourselves together and how society can break down and how, you know, class divisions can happen and, and how, you know, people can take advantage of it and become, you know, a, a villain that you have to worry about other than the, you know, villain that's on paper. Uh, yeah. I think both shows explore that really, really well. And so I think that's my connection there to the walking dead.
0: Well, and right on. yeah, if, um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot with this show, and it's the first research dive I'm going to do. And in fact, um, I asked y'all to to do some searching for me, which nobody did, but that's fine. Um, you can cut that <laughs> part out. Um, when we talk about you know, monsters in, I mean literature specifically, but really any kind of mm-hmm. media, the the monster isn't, and this isn't. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here. This is this is old hat, but like. The the monster isn't about the monster, right? It's a reflection in some way of some anxiety mm-hmm. um about humanity. And if the monster is the only threat and it's not representing something else, then then it becomes exactly what you said, which is this kind of like chase and catch, and then who cares? Um and I So a lot of that is um pulling from Jeffrey Drome Cohen, um has a whole thing on monster theory. And it will be something that I will dive into as we get further into the series where I can do some searching and writing without spoiling myself.
2: Is there anything he's done that we can link to in the show notes?
0: Um yeah, literally his book monster theory, but um I can I can I will find something useful for our listeners that I could link them to without spoiling anything for myself. perfect for sure, yeah.
2: Shoot that over to Caleb he we'll get that in the
0: show notes it, for yeah, you. Yeah, and in fact, if I can give one more shout out to uh a uh, Another academic who I love very much, um, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, has a book that is a sort of, like, update and revisiting um, called uh, The Dark Fantastic, and it is it deals a lot with the way that um, people of color are othered in a way that is specifically monstrous. Hmm. Um, That sounds like a good read. It's wonderful. She's wonderful. So um, I might also send y'all some links for that, too. Please do.
1: Oh, my God. So... um... Bear McCurry has a, a fairly prolific career as a composer. Uh, a, a lot of television stuff, but also some movies. And in a great uh, connection back to uh, the, the show that kicked off the uh, Night Shift Radio Network, never heard of it, uh, Bear McCurry was the composer for both Nights of Badassdom and Angry Video Game Nerd the movie.
2: <laughs> Excellent. So, So he's got Angry that going v- for him.
0: I need him Angry on this show. Video Game show. Nerd was so bad. Oh my God, don't. I would love to talk to... <laughs>
2: I would love to do a Left of the Dial crossover, which I guess would just be this podcast because we're both on Left of the Dial, but <laughs> do an episode uh, where we bring Bear McCree on to talk about the music of Battlestar Please. Galactica. I would absolutely adore oh, that. So yes.
0: Can I lead that interview where I'm just like, why is this part good?
2: Yes, no, you absolutely
0: can. <laughs> uh, so,
2: so Bear, if you're listening, or if anyone who knows Bear is listening, we would love to have you on as a guest. Please, Please. get in touch.
1: Hell Yes. Uh, so we, uh, we have to bring it back around to the implementation of Starbucks plan and oh the, the tense moments that follow.
2: There's a moment between Starbuck and Lee before the, the plan actually kicks off where mm-hmm. there's like this tension between them. Cause Starbuck wants to be leading the mission out on, in, in, the Vipers, but Lee's going to be doing it.
1: Uh, Cause he actually says like, you know, you don't think I'm up to this. She says, of course I do. You'll be fine says, look, you're worried that I'm not gonna pull off one like pull it out of the fire with some high risk retina detaching move the way Starbuck would. Well, Kara, I'm sorry you're not suiting up because believe me, everyone will feel so much better, me included, if you were riding along with us. But this isn't an ego trip, this is my job. And I don't think for one moment and don't think for one moment that I will not get it done. And she just says, I hope so, because we got one shot. Don't frack it yep. don't frack it up by don't frack it up by overthinking. Yep. And, like, it's, you know, a very, like, Starbuck and Lee exchange where, like, you know, there's, like, respect there, but there's some jabs, too.
2: There is. and I, But I think it's important to point that out because it does pay off at the end. Yeah.
0: There's one yeah. more moment that I think we've skipped over, and it's how much of this hinges on... We would never skip over <laughs> a
2: moment in the show. <laughs> no, I, I
0: think it's uh, how much of this hinges on whether or not Gaius Baltar has located... Oh, yes, 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 yes. ...the right... Uh, why can't I think of the word?
2: the 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 retaining tanks of the tellium refinery or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because th- that's the th- that's the the goal of the mission here is they're gonna dupe the Cylons and they're gonna get in there and they're gonna blow up the refinery so the Cylons go run! and run away home and then they take it over. Um, and so to do that, they're asking Baltar. Uh, about you know, hey, w- you know you're the smart PhD guy. Tell us about how Tilia refineries work. And he's like, I don't
0: fucking know. Yeah. It's uh, another sort of come to, I guess not come to Jesus, but um, it's, you know, Baltar seeking advice from Six and Six pointing him um, in the direction she always points him, which is toward God. And she mm-hmm. tells him, you have to accept God's love and open, his heart, open your heart to him. Um, and Gaius can't do that. So he takes a sort of blind stab, or so he thinks anyway, um, at some random spot on the planet, and then...
2: It's an asteroid.
0: Whatever. All right, what's, what's an asteroid if not just a tiny planet?
2: <laughs> Don't make me call Neil deGrasse Tyson.
0: <laughs> I wish you would.
2: I wish I would, too. I wish I could. <laughs> so it's mission time on the Battlestar Galactica, and they have this elaborate plan that Starbuck has dreamed up uh that they previously discussed and what they're doing is they have a few civilian freighters jump in to on one side of the asteroid and they're gonna uh purposefully break radio silence in the way that the cylons can hear them and say oh hey we found an asteroid with tillium let's go get that tillium ah. and the idea is that <laughs> the cylons will hear that and go i don't think so mister and send all their raiders after the, the <laughs> civilian freighters and while they're doing that, Galactica's gonna jump in on the other side and be like, hey, 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 we're here. And they're gonna sneak in with their vipers and take out boo, 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 take out the uh the refinery. Sounds like a good plan, right? Sounds like a great plan. Well, here's the problem. Once Galactica jumps in and, and uh, launches the fighters headed towards the uh the asteroid, they find out that uh the Cylons have more raiders, and now those raiders are coming towards them and they're outnumbered, what is it, like ten to one? Uh five to one. Five it to 50
1: fifty raiders so we can assume that strike force one was 10, 10 vipers. Ten
2: vipers. Those raiders are all headed towards the Galactica, and I think uh it's Balter even says like when do we uh <laughs> when do we launch the reserve Vipers? And Adama says everything we have is in the air. Like that's it. There are no reserves. Which uh ten Vipers seems like not that many Vipers, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean they've definitely had some losses, but we knew that they had at least uh, 21 pilots. <laughs> and I think it was, uh, 40 vipers yeah. at, at one point.
2: So the, the vipers engage the raider, the one group of raiders, uh, the other group of raiders are still heading for the, uh, civilian, civilian, uh, ships. The, there's a couple losses of vipers. They're not doing too well and they give the order to retreat as they're retreating the raiders flying after the civilian fleet, uh, seize the opportunity to flip around and go after Galactica. Cause this could be their chance to take out the Galactica. So they spin around, they're heading towards the Galactica and everyone on the, on the, uh, in this, on the, the war room there is kind of getting nervous. You know, <laughs> president Roslin's there and Baltar's there. And they're just like, uh, wh- what are we going to do? And Starbuck quietly walks around to Gaeta and just kind of slidles up next to him and very quietly says, uh, you know, tell D to, uh, get on a scrambled channel, and uh, inform Apollo that the back door is open. And as the raiders fly away from the civilian freighters, uh, we see a shipping container-like structure break off of one of them, and hidden inside, what do we see? The rest of the Vipers! Oh, and that's where Lee is! Because if you didn't notice, he wasn't in that strike force... That's he true. was hiding in a shipping container like a true hero. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I want to take a moment just to acknowledge some of the call signs from these two strike forces. Yes. Uh, we, have, we, of course, had our buddies Hot Dog and Crash Down that we're uh, familiar with and, you know, uh, Apollo and Cat. Uh, but... There was Chuckles, uh, also from the R.I.P. Chuckles, R.I.P. Chuckles, uh, Fireball, R.I.P. Fireball, who uh, lived up to his name. Uh, I
2: feel like it's a bad name for a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah. Crashdown.
2: Crashdown is also a bad name for a pilot, but Fireball somehow even mm-hmm. worse.
1: Deadbolt, which <laughs> again, is a, it's a little rough. Uh, but I think possibly my favorite uh, was Stepchild. <laughs>
0: Is that person a ginger? Who was it?
2: Now, hold on. Is that just in the script or did they mention that person in the the show? Because I didn't catch that.
1: I don't think they ever actually call her by her call sign, but it's in the uh, it's in the script here. But it's all, it was also in the captioning, which is how I caught it. Uh, She's okay. the one who like says like they're jamming the guidance systems when mm-hmm. they try to launch the missiles at the uh, refined uh, tillium storage, and the, the missiles go wide and like never hit their target. Uh, but yeah, that was call sign stepchild. <laughs> and I just it, it was in the middle of this like super tense like action sequence and I just see that in the captioning on my screen and I just started laughing <laughs> that's, <very
2: good. laughs> that's pretty great uh so the Raiders had uh the Raiders heading for the colonial uh or the the civilian freighters had just uh did a 180 and actually I do want to talk about this 180 that they do uh because one of my pet peeves with space combat, in general, in most science fiction shows is that every ship always approaches every other ship on the same plane, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're always facing the same direction, the same upright. They're moving in the same, you know, typically two-dimensional space. And they'll go up and down, but it's like, you know, it, it's like an, an an air dogfight would be on Earth where you yeah. have a definite up and down. And yeah. space doesn't work like that, you know. But you see ships always jump in, you know, on the same plane. And like, realistically what you would have is you'd have like the colonial fleet and then the Cylons would jump in on like a 90 degree plane to that and be like, Hey, we're here we came from this way. And the fact that like everything is always on that same plane is, you know, I I get that visually it makes it look less chaotic, but you know, you have three dimensions to work with, use them. And what I love about this particular about face is that, um, those Cylons that flip around do so, in a way that they're now flying quote unquote upside down from everyone Mm -hmm. else. And they're just cruising like that because there is no up or down in space.
1: I love like, that's another one of just the little touches of this show that I I really appreciate. And like the way that the Vipers maneuver in 3d space, uh, is so like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll turn on a, a hairpin, uh, but, like they'll flip completely upside down. They'll spin around. Like that. they'll go in every direction. Yeah. And like it's really neat because usually ships in space are like oddly kind of lumbering and clunky. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I I love and I love that the you know the physics of that is is kind of accurate too. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent accurate, but like you'll see a viper do a one eighty flip and it's still moving in the same direction it was before. It's just now backwards. And then uh-huh. it hits the thrusters and goes the other way, and that's exactly how like orbital mechanics works. Orbital mechanics yep. isn't the right word; it's not orbiting anything. But you know what I mean. Um, you know, if you've ever played Kerbal Space Program, which if you haven't, I suggest <laughs> yes. I suggest that you do. But that's exactly I knew that was coming. Like that's exactly if you rotate your ship, you're still going the direction you were going. You still have that momentum. And mm-hmm. I think this show, more than most other space battle shows I've seen, uh, does a really good job of exploring that mechanic.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, to yeah. be fair, it's really hard to get the cameras set up in space in such a way to get the coverage you need. So that's I don't true, know that's true, that's true. Why Battlestar is... Uh, well,
2: you'll notice a lot of times they'll have, like, they have a hard time catching the action. That's why you'll see, like, the, camera su- like, the cameras pan kind of wildly and they'll zoom in really quick sometimes. It's because the cameramen are just trying so hard yeah. to keep up with the action. If you
0: look really closely, sometimes <laughs> you can see a boom, like, kind of drift down in, but they yeah. got the shot they needed, so they leave it. Yeah. But it, it like
1: it very much it it plays off these these ships as being like nimble but it also like kind of keeps your mind focused on the fact that like there there wouldn't be any like wind resistance or drag in mm-hmm. space that would like you know stop them from doing all these ridiculously like tight fast maneuvers and i love that they they this show unlike most understands and acknowledges that's how space would work
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh and speaking of these hairpin maneuvers uh lee pulls off a pretty crazy one of his own good uh, lord <laughs> when he uh you know in trying to to get away from the uh the the flat cannons that are uh trying to take them down uh he sees the conveyor tunnel that the ore is being moved through and decides fuck it i'm going to fly through this and see if i can get uh, closer to Uh, to the the tanks.
2: I don't know that I'd quite go with fuck it, because the thing he says before that is, don't do this, Lee, he says to himself. And then he kind of takes a deep breath, (laughs) and he's like, you know, the conveyor tunnel's clear. I'm going to go through it. I think Baltar is like, what's he doing? And someone says, oh, he's hoping that, you know, it'll go all the way through to the other side. Baltar's like, there's there's absolutely no reason to believe it does anything of the sort. (laughs) And he's right. I fucking lied. There's no reason to believe it does anything of the sort. And uh, Lee goes for it.
1: And it's important to note that like it's a very Starbuck move.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's and that's why I wanted to bring up that uh that point that between them earlier, because Lee does end up saving the day with a very fucking Starbuck move.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. He comes like he he comes to what looks like a dead end and managed to pull off a, a quick stop, but then is able to go vertically up through the, the tunnel shaft and comes out like basically right on the deck of this refinery complex to the point where the cannons, the, the surface to air cannons can't get a, a firing solution on them without destroying the base themselves. And he's able to get close enough to, Fire a uh, an unguided missile since mm-hmm. their guidance systems are being jammed. And uh, we have this tense moment of waiting, waiting, waiting. And we get to see, like, everyone's faces up close mm-hmm. as they are just holding their breath for if the explosion will happen. And then? And then. Kaboom! <laughs> and uh, we get uh, Lee having the... The distinct pleasure of radioing to the Galactica, wow. mission accomplished. That's so good. And uh, everyone is just so thrilled and hugs and handshakes all around, including uh, between Starbuck and the president, mm-hmm. and this, this moment of joy and Starbuck hugs Laura. Was uh, very she's very like, surprised. Just, <laughs> she's like, I'm, I'm sorry. She's like, no need to apologize, Lieutenant. Thanks to you, we have enough fuel <laughs> to last us a few years. Um, so, Lee signals that the, the mission's accomplished. The refinery has been destroyed. Uh, the remaining raiders uh, book it out of there. Uh, and everyone celebrates. They now have access to this uh, this asteroid to mine for themselves. Presumably, they're going to just grab the ore and get the fuck out. I, I think that they mentioned at some point, like, having a refinery ship. Yep. Um, and so, like, they're not going to stick around and see if the Cylons the come back for this, which... Uh, it is a smart move because I mean this whole proposition was very risky uh, to begin with. But the longer they stay there, the more likely it's going to you know, catch up and bite them.
2: I cannot wait uh, until we get to the refinery ship because it has my favorite name of any ship in Battlestar Galactica. I don't remember what it's called. You, you will when we get there.
1: Don't uh, look it up when I get there. Just wait. I mean, just I wait
2: for it. It's it's going to pay off. It's it's only a few episodes
1: away. Uh, yeah, it's definitely coming up soon because, you know, they have to do something with all this Tillium more.
2: I mean, it's Chekhov's Tillium. You don't introduce mm-hmm. Tillium in one episode if you don't plan to refine it in the next, right? It's the yeah. old
1: saying. It's the old saying. And, of course, we uh, we end the episode on six uh, basically reassuring Gaius that... Uh, he's you know that he gave himself to to God's plan in this and you know God came through for them and we have this amazing uh, sign off where the episode ends of Gaius gazing up into the sky saying I am an instrument of God with his arms <laughs>
2: spread and his palms out like he's fucking Jesus
1: it's, it's a fucking it's a very Scott Stap moment <laughs> 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 with arms wide open yes now, Kitsy, I know exactly what you want to talk about. Please. What is it? Tell bring me. Bring it home. Tell bring, me. Bring it home. Tell me what I want to talk about. No, I want you to bring it home. I want you to tell me what I want to talk about, because I want to
2: make sure I want to see if you're right. Ensign Davis. Actually, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good point. Uh, yes, Ensign Davis, uh, when when they all come back uh, onto the hangar deck, does uh, a cost uh crashdown and give him a big hug and boomer just kind of like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. See? See, Uh, but what I want to talk about is how everyone is suddenly drinking Michelob Light.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! It's like, what is it? Is it actually champagne? Is it beer? Like it's it's the well. I was gonna say it's the champagne of beers, but that's not Michelob Light. Whatever it is, it's all over the hangar deck now.
2: <laughs> yes, they do spray it everywhere. Uh, but as Andrea pointed out, it's like they're in beer bottles, but with a very elongated neck. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, I wonder if that's another one of those things where it's like just weird the things they choose to make it slightly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, which begs the question, why didn't they make the bottles octagonal?
1: <laughs> Ooh.
0: They'd stack better. They right?
2: would stack better.
1: They would. Well, yeah, because, it, like, it's smaller than a regular wine bottle, but longer than a beer bottle, and it's that, like, kind of amber and sparkling color. So, like, it could, be, it could be anything. It could be nothing. It could be, like, nothing we have.
0: It's the champagne
2: of beers, I'm sure of it.
0: It's, it's, I think it's Boone's Farm. It's just in special bottles. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, Mad there's... Dog 2020. It's just in really fancy <laughs> bottles.
1: They don't have 40s, <laughs> uh, but they still have uh, malt liquors.
0: Of course.
2: Well, it's, it, it's still a 40, but it's, it's like a different measurement. It's like 40 JPs, but, but JPs are huge, so it's not, definitely not
0: bad.
1: Uh, it's it, like 40 milli JPs. Yeah. 40 MJPs. <laughs> MJPs.
0: <laughs> and so, with all that, Andrea, you know what time it is. I know exactly what time it is, and I'm about to blow this wide the fuck open. Oh, shit. I just need everybody to sit down and strap in. I am 100% certain that Apollo is a Cylon. They gave it to us so clearly this episode. Um, We have not mentioned, I don't think by name, that... uh, Hilo and um, Boomer are trying to get to Delphi. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And we know that this uh, show is very in conversation with uh, Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And who's at Delphi? The So it's the Oracle of Delphi, right? Or the Oracle of Delphi, I'll often hear whatever. Um, yeah. That's Pythia. She's the Oracle of Delphi or Delphi. Um, Go on. And what temple is at Delphi? Temple of Apollo.
2: That's interesting. Boom. That's interesting. Um, a counterpoint. <laughs> if Apollo is a Cylon, uh-huh. does that not mean Commander Adama has to be a Cylon as well?
0: I don't think so. Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, possibly. Um, we're about to find out if Cylons can get pregnant. Okay.
2: Yes, but I also know that I'm going to assume that Bill Adama remembers Lee being born.
0: Adama could also be a Cylon. Yeah, I think it could go either way. Okay, okay. Okay. I'm not weighing in the—I have put Apollo firmly in the column of, yes, Cylon. Adama, I am— I'm open to possibilities.
2: I would like to hear you explain to me how Lee could be a Cylon if Bill is not.
0: Um. Well. Okay. So Lee could be half Cylon, right? Okay. If, if uh, okay Adam, half Cylon. If Lee's mom, um, we don't know. Well, there are plenty of ways. Actually, Lee could be adopted. Adama might not know. Here's so. Here's something. Switched at um, birth in Caprica General. Yeah. Exactly. So well, one of my <laughs> one of the first things that kind of got me. Like, down this rabbit hole, which led me to... This is how I know Apollo's Cylon, is um, Rosalind's uh, vision of the snakes. And then... So, she sees two and ten. And then, in that little vision... The, or not vision. the When Baltar is visiting with six in his mind, she points him in the direction of... Actually, the snakes are the vipers, right? The two and ten vipers. So, mm-hmm. it's really... Um, uh, As in like the viper attack ships, yeah, are the twelve snakes um that are are sort of analogous to, or the snakes that um Roslyn saw were symbolic of the actual the the twelve that the um prophecy is mm. is um whatevering um and I say that because. So much of an oracle's prophecy, like the way that the that, that stories in, in, uh, I'm thinking specifically, I don't know why I'm trying to talk generally, um, of Oedipus where that whole, the whole narrative there is about somebody misunderstanding, um, uh, yep. prophecy and then trying to tempt fate using that prophecy to try to get right, um, to somehow work their way around it. Uh, so it makes sense that Rosalind would misunderstand or that, um, uh, what is her name again? The woman, the the sort of priestess there? Elosha. Elosha um would misinterpret it. Uh just because it's so characteristic of this of this kind of narrative. Um, so and it's the same Oracle. It's the Oracle of Delphi who mm. gives Oedipus his or who doesn't give Oedipus, but who um who, who passes down that, the Oedipus' prophecy that he's going to kill his uh, father and marry his mother, which he tries to avoid doing and in so ends up doing exactly that. Interesting. I
1: like where you're going with this.
0: And I think Adama has wasting disease. That's my tiny little, like, I feel really strongly about the rest of it. Um, but if Rosalind isn't the one with the wasting disease, then who would it be? It would be whoever is leading oh. people to the confrontation, whatever, and that's either... Oh. That could be... Yeah, Adama. I guess that could also be Gaius Baltar. I jokingly said to Kitsie when we were watching this episode, as... Baltar's arms were splayed out like Jesus, as we said. Um, And I was like, oh, so if he's Jesus, six is, so Jesus, so there's God, whoever God is. Mm -hmm. Then there's God would be God. Right. So there's the father. Then there's the son, Jesus and or Gaius. And then the Holy Spirit would be six because she's kind of ghost-like in this. So that was the joke. But but then I guess there's no reason... That Gaius couldn't be, because he's the first one other than Six to understand that 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 bit of scripture isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily pointing to actual snakes. Uh,
2: I do think thinking of Six as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost uh, is interesting, given that she only seems to exist in Baltar's head. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting take on that.
0: I mean, she's very ghost-like. Even on the planet... That six is, she's glowing white.
2: She dies and comes back. That's more of a Jesus thing, but still. That's more of a
0: Jesus thing, but you know, they're the Holy Trinity for a reason. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. (laughs) I can't wait to see how uh, any of
1: this plays out. I like when you all
0: say things like that, because it makes me feel like I'm in the right direction. It's so hard to
1: like, want to not confirm anything that would be a spoiler. Mm -hmm. uh, But I also don't want to encourage this like this, this line of thinking. And so we have to tread a, a very, very difficult line of how we react to the, uh, the theories that you propose. Mm-hmm. So
2: I, I uh, will say that some of, some of my, Oh, that's interesting is genuine because while it, it's been a while since I watched this show. Sorry. So, so sorry. While, <laughs> I, uh, while I, uh, un- well, I, I remember the, the overall plot of the show, a lot of the specifics, uh, are not readily in my mm-hmm. memory. Um, and so, you know, some of this is like, oh, I, you know, uh, that could be – I hadn't really thought of that. Like, it's
0: uh, – And I well, I mean, you all do kind of react that way to every theory that I do spit out, and I've spit out a few. So that doesn't actually – Now, that's interesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, without confirming or denying any of them, I, I am genuinely intrigued by the, the places your brain goes yes. as you're walking through this show. So uh, I actually – yeah, my, my reactions are 100% uh, uh, genuine there. Uh, Same. But Kitsy, you know, if you can't remember the details of a show you watched, Life Hack, watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caleb,
2: uh, <laughs> good news. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> You figured out the life hack. I did. Well, I, they don't call me life hack for nothing. <laughs> hey,
0: Kitsy, can you offer a life hack to our listeners if they'd like to catch us next week? Oh yeah. Life Ooh. hack. If
2: you want to catch our episode next week and you don't want to have to go digging through the internet for it and typing in set condition one throughout the com, Cause I'll be honest. I can't type that many letters correctly in a row. <laughs> I don't know how anybody it's, else could. I don't
0: think anybody else It's still one has. of my
2: favorite domains that I own. It's I, it's a great <laughs> domain. I mean, the reason we started this podcast is because you bought that domain. Uh, <laughs> and boy, what a great idea that was. Uh, <laughs> But, life hack, if you want to listen to next week's episode and you don't want to have to go searching for it, you want it to just come right to you, all you have to do is subscribe in your uh, podcatcher
1: of choice. That's true. And if you want to uh, talk to us about some of your own theories, but please avoid spoilers, uh, you can also reach out to us on social media at Setcon1, the number one podcast. Uh, and uh, please, uh, you know, interact with us. Tell us, tell us what you think, and uh, be like Boston Gabe and uh, leave us a review so we we know how we're doing. It's uh, it's super helpful for us. Uh, and but we absolutely
2: that- will shout you out if you do because Hell you know what, yes. if you shout us out to, uh, to to Apple Podcasts, we'll shout you out right back because you know what, that's just who we are as people.
1: Sharing the love. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> all that said. We're going to spool up the FTL drives and jump to a secure location. And uh, we're going to see about getting some of this uh, tillium refined. And we'll see you next week.
2: So say we
0: all. So say we all.
1: So say we all. Begin jump prep. We're leaving. we'll be back. Start your prep.
2: set condition one is a night shift radio production visit nightshiftradio.com for more information